I just love seeing everyone's smiles as the kids walk out. Just <laughs> Kids do bring a smile to our face, don't they? Especially when we don't have to take care of them. <laughs> Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, <clears throat> we're back for another round of your word. We're back after another week of life in your kingdom, which was also another week of life in a broken world. We're back here in your presence, in your house, and in this moment we're here to listen to your word. Make us ready, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> As we read another scripture this morning, having already read the Palm Sunday story, I want us to keep in mind that story. We're going to explore another I am statement of Jesus today. We've been doing this. I think this is the sixth Sunday. But I want us to keep in mind, I want us to get clear in our minds the Palm Sunday story. I know it's hard to juggle two different texts at the same time, but today I want to stretch you a little bit because this story of Palm Sunday illuminates brightly the claim of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So first I want you to remember the story. Remember Jerusalem, the city buzzing with activity and festivity as she welcomes crowds of visitors for this annual event called Passover. Remember the crowds who were even more alive and more rowdy than usual because some had just witnessed the young rabbi named Jesus raising a dead man to life. Remember the palm branches, green and vibrant, laid down before Jesus like a red carpet, for that's what they did when kings returned to their kingdom. But most of all, remember Jesus who corrected the crowd's nationalistic hopes by choosing a donkey as his mode of transportation. Yes, a donkey, not a horse. The horse, you see, was always chosen by kings in times of war because horses are majestic, powerful, and strong. Therefore, the, the horse-mounted king spoke confidence into the spirit of his soldiers. The horse-mounted king promised certain victory to the citizens of his country. But Jesus chooses another way. He chooses the way of the donkey, which made me want to title today's sermon, The Way of the Ass, but I held back. The donkey, you see, was the king's choice in times of peace. When a peace treaty was being established between two nations, the kings would ride into the meeting on donkeys. It was a sign of peace. Jesus chooses not a horse, but a donkey. Remember all this, my friends, as we hear one final I am statement from Jesus this morning. Remember Jerusalem, remember the crowds, remember the palm branches, remember Jesus who chose the way of the donkey fulfilling the words of the prophet Zechariah. Don't be afraid, daughter. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a young donkey. Remember and hear what Jesus 
had to say to his closest friends shortly after the Palm Sunday event. Jesus said these words shortly after the Hosanna Pray song, but just before the Crucify Him chant. This is John 14. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Now Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. This discussion among friends, it's about the way. This back and forth between the Master Jesus and his students, it's about the way. The phrase, the way, is used three times here. Moreover, in the the Greek structuring of the sentence, the word way takes center stage with the words truth and life functioning as the supporting cast. As the scholar Raymond Brown writes, the phrase, the way, is the primary predicate, and the truth and the life are explanations of the way. Or you can just take my word for it. The discussion here among Jesus' friends, it's about the way. Jesus claims, first and foremost, I am the way. This explains the name given to Jesus' first followers. They were not called Christians at first. Did you know that? They certainly were not called adherents to the religion of Christianity. They were known simply as those who belonged to the way. Those who belonged to the way. See Acts 9, verse 2, for instance. When Saul goes on the hunt to persecute Christians, says that they, he went to persecute those who belonged to the way. Do you belong to the way? It's a different way of thinking about it, isn't it? Jesus himself encourages this way of thinking among his followers when he identifies himself as the way. Do you belong to the way of Jesus? But we don't talk like that much in the Western church because we have a bias for the truth. And we've had this bias for a long time. We in the West would rather be known as people who belonged to the truth, wouldn't we? It's as if Jesus said, I am the truth and the life, and left it at that. We wouldn't mind if the way were left out altogether and the truth became the main focus. Belonging to the way sounds so wishy-washy anyways. Now, what explains our bias to the truth? Well, how about I save you the history lesson 
on the age of enlightenment in the West. You can Google enlightenment later and read all about it. I'll spare you the lecture on the influence of rationalism in the Western church. Suffice it to say that we value the truth above all else because our ancestors made certain decisions about the authority of human reason above all else. Remember Descartes' famous quote, I think, therefore I am. Thinking became more important to us than living. But it's this thinking business that too often gets us in trouble and gets us out of step with Jesus, especially when the thinking is divorced from our hearts, when the thinking is separated from the living. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? What is truth? Pontius Pilate asked Jesus. And the present-day Western church answers, answers, the truth is the fact of the matter. The truth is that which is according to fact. That's what our dictionaries say. It's about facts and propositions. That's how we understand the truth. Knowing the truth becomes a very head-centered activity. So listen to this. We, we create a dogma of well-thought-out doctrines, and we claim that everyone who wants to follow Jesus better get along with learning the truth of the matter, learning the facts. But if you can't wrap your minds around the facts of God in a boring catechism class, or if you have some serious questions about some of the facts, then your salvation is in question. That's how we've sometimes behaved in the Western church. We imagine that Jesus said, I am the truth and the life, and we ignore the part about the way. So what exactly are you saying, Brandon? Do you not care about the truth? Oh, I very much do. So here's the truth. We define the truth too narrowly. We define the truth in terms of facts and propositions. But that is not what the truth, aletheia, means in the scriptures. Not all, not completely. The problem is not with the truth. The problem lies in our narrow definition of the truth. And the reason I care about this so much, and the reason I'm boring you with all this abstract thinking, is because I believe this narrow definition of truth too often prevents us from experiencing the grace of belonging to the way. Belonging to the way. When Jesus thought about the truth, he did not have in mind mere facts and propositions. That's not what he meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Remember those smart, rational, religious leaders of Jesus' day? He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, these people know all the correct doctrines. They aced their Sunday school exams, which they did. They know all the truth, as we often define it, in facts and propositions. But, get this, they don't really know the truth, with a capital T. Recall also those who, in Matthew 7, prophesied in God's name. 
Do you remember Jesus' end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7? There were those who prophesied in God's name and those who drove out demons in God's name and those who did all kinds of great things for God. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, evildoers. How could Jesus say this? Certainly they knew God if they did all these great things for God and in God's name. They knew facts about God, you see. They knew the truth as it's narrowly defined. But they did not know the truth relationally. They did not know God personally, which, as it turns out, is really the only way to know him. There's also Paul's witness in the great love chapter of the Bible, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. You remember this? It's often said at weddings. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I can fathom all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have what? But do not have love, I am nothing. Put differently, if I have all the knowledge in the world, if I know all the facts, if I have the truth about everything, but I'm not a loving person, I'm completely lost in God's perspective. My friends, let me put it this way. If Jesus would have thought about the truth the way we in the West often do, he would have ridden into Jerusalem clothed in an academic robe with lecture hands with lecture notes in his hands. But instead, this blue-collar carpenter from Nazareth rode on the back of a donkey, looking far more like a poor man than a Messiah. And that's the way, the Jesus way. It's the way of humility. Do you belong to the way? Now later in the same conversation with his friends in John 15, Jesus shares with them this. He's already said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he shares with them this, recorded in John 15. He says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Then he lays it down by dying for us on a first century tree. That's the way, my friends, the Jesus way. It's the way of loving sacrifice. Do you belong to the way? And that's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a humble donkey. He was coming in peace. He was coming to establish peace between God and humanity. He was coming to make relational amends so that we might return to a relationship with our maker. It was costly. He didn't have to do it. After all, it should have been our responsibility to initiate and make the amends, for we were the ones in the wrong. But Jesus grabs the initiative, and he does for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. He makes peace between us and God through his blood on the cross. That's the way, the Jesus way. It's the way of forgiveness. Do you belong 
to the way. And here's how this truth relates. Here's how this relates to the truth and the life. For remember Jesus' claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, it's true, the way takes center stage, but the truth and the life are there too, playing their important parts. So here's how truth and life get into the game. If you belong to the way, the way of humility, the way of service, the way of forgiveness, if, if you walk along this way for long enough, you will hear Jesus speak. For it is Jesus' way that we're talking about here, no one else's. Jesus is your constant companion as you follow the way. And as Jesus speaks, you will instantly or over time recognize Jesus as the truth. Not merely as one who tells the truth or one who teaches true life messages that you can then take home and follow on your own with or without Jesus' presence. But that's not what we're talking about. As you hear Jesus speak while you follow the way, you will recognize him as the one in whom truth is embodied. The one who is reality beneath and within and above all reality. The one who rightly claims, I am the way and the truth. And in knowing the truth, you will receive the life. For it's this experience of the embodied truth of Jesus, as we follow him along the sacrificial way, that we receive the life that is really life, the life that is called abundant. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? And it's certainly not the way to receive life that our culture believes in. This way of life that Jesus tells us about, it has nothing to do with shopping sprees and materialistic pleasures that our whole culture seems to be pining for, longing for, lusting after. There's no life there, my friends, so let's give it up. There's no life at the end of the road. There's no life at the end of the pursuit of happiness through material means and pleasurable experiences and social status and wealth. So let's give up the pursuit. But the real life is in the one who claims, I am the life. As we follow Jesus' way, the way of humility, forgiveness, and sacrifice, and as we enjoy his presence along the way, we discover the life, the authentic life of love, which is really the only one worth living, the authentic life of love. Now, I'm aware that all this might not make perfect sense to you now. I'm trying my best. So let me give commentator Dale Bruner a shot at it. Here's his translation of the text that intends to clarify this connection between the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, here's his translation. Jesus says, I, I am the way there, the way to God. And I am the truth that will lead you on the way there. And I am the life that will give you the power to follow the truth 
along the way there. Let me repeat that. I am the way there, the way to God. And I am the truth that will lead you on the way there. And I am the life that will give you the power to follow the truth along the way there. And if that's still unclear, let me finish by giving Thomas Akempis the last turn. You know who Thomas Akempis is? Some of you. He belonged to the way in the 15th century. He was a Christian monk who belonged to the way, and he wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. This book remains the second most sold and translated work of Christianity after the Bible. Did you know that? That fact alone made me want to read it. <laughs> it's this little manual on Christian living, and it's about imitating Christ. Thomas Akempis puts these words in the mouth of Jesus about our text. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way that you should follow, the truth that you should trust, the life that you should hope for. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the indestructible life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, the authentic life, blessed and eternal. This Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus asks you, do you belong to the way? But how can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.